0: Hi folks, before we start this week's episode, I wanted to ask for your support for Design Museum Everywhere. Just like this podcast, so much of what Design Museum Everywhere puts out in the world is free and accessible to everyone. We're all about bringing design impact everywhere. Whether it's our virtual events, like our recent Design Museum Live on data visualization and COVID-19, or our We Design online exhibition featuring designers of color across every design field, There's just so much Design Museum content to enjoy. It's all made possible by people like you whose financial support drives our ability to bring the transformative power of design everywhere. If you enjoy this podcast, I hope you'll consider making a year-end gift to support us. Your donation is tax-deductible and means a lot to us. So visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on the link at the top of the page. Thanks, and now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Design Is Everywhere, our weekly podcast on the impact of design in our lives from Design Museum Everywhere. It's Thursday, November 26, 2020. Happy Thanksgiving to our US listeners. And if you celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope everyone is taking some time to give thanks. In a wild year like 2020, there is still so much to be thankful for. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of the Design Museum. And I'm thankful that you're all here with us. This week, we're talking about design education, specifically making design education real in colleges and universities. Good design requires good problems and problems have constraints. And the best problems are real. In design school, too often the projects are made up and so the stakes are pretty low. There's no real users, no constraints. So a lot of it just comes from the student's mind or the teacher's mind, which ends up creating a lot of self-referential design or design for just yourself. And we know that's not good today. We're going to chat with two gentlemen that are making design education real in different ways, whether it's embedding design students within companies or doing sponsored projects with industry. They're both really innovating in this space. So our guest co-host is a friend and board member at the design museum. Matt Templeton will join us. Matt is a principal design strategist and health suite labs engagement lead at Philips experience design. And when he's not doing that, he's also a professor at Wentworth Institute of Technology. Then later in the show, Matt and I will interview the president of Art Center College of Design, Lauren Buckman, to learn about how Art Center partners with industry for the benefit of their students. Plus, as always, we'll have our weekly dose of good design. Before we get into all that, some news from the Design Museum. I'm very excited to share that the winter issue of Design Museum Magazine is on its way. The theme of this issue is healthcare, which with COVID I know is on everyone's minds. And as we've discussed many times on this podcast, the intersection of healthcare and design is exciting and super impactful. So in this issue, you'll read articles from thought leaders like Amy Butcher from Madpow, who writes about the art and science of designing for behavior change, as well as Tushar Gupta from EYP, who shares a case study in designing with evidence-based empathy at the new Stanford Hospital. And there's many, many more stories that you're gonna love. If you're not a subscriber of Design Museum Magazine, be sure to subscribe and get the winter issue. Visit our website, designmuseumeverywhere.org, and click on Magazine in the main menu. And some upcoming events. We've partnered again with Noma. That's the Boston chapter of the National Organization for Minority Architects. We'll be doing a live podcast recording during ABX, which is a big virtual summit on architecture and the built environment. We'll be chatting with some NOMA members about racial equity and designing the world around us you'll be able to be part of the podcast yourself. Uh, You'll join with your questions. So jump on the website, register, it's a free event. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on events in the menu. Lastly, folks, our Workplace Innovation Summit is just about one week away and we have an awesome lineup of speakers and workshops. I'm just gonna name a couple of the design firms and companies that are presenting. So folks are gonna be coming from Perkins & Will, Future Work Design, C-Space, Luma Institute, Studio O Plus A, Gensler, Source, HOK, and Ford Motor Company, and more. You're not going to want to miss this virtual event on the future of how and where we work, especially with all the changes happening with the workplace. Tickets are still available. Get yours at WorkplaceInnovationSummit.org. And with that, on to this week's topic. When I was thinking about this episode, I remembered one of my favorite projects in design school was designing a real exhibition for a local science museum. This was part of an independent study I did. And this was way before I had any idea about starting the Design Museum. But in that project, I had to talk to kids. I talked to scientists and science teachers, talked to folks at the museum, and I worked with a team of not just designers, but engineers, fabricators, and teachers. And it was just an incredibly rich experience. And it was a real experience. Then when I became an adjunct professor, uh, the head of the department, Sam Montague at Wentworth, He asked me if I'd be up for teaching an exhibition design course, along with my friend and co-founder Derek Cassio. I remember being like, we're super into it, but I didn't want to have projects like my old design school days where everything was make-believe and we were just creating drawings of make-believe exhibitions. So being good professors and entrepreneurs, we basically made Design Museum the client for this class. And so the students had to conceive of, research content, develop, design, fundraise for, fabricate, everything for an actual design museum exhibition. And it was wonderful. The impact of this real design education experience cannot be understated. And I know each of those students remembers that experience and it helped shape the future of their careers. So I'm extremely excited to bring on this week's guest co-host, Matt Templeton, who has been constantly innovating on how to make design education real for students. Matt is an artist, designer, and educator. His work has been exhibited internationally and received critical acclaim and is in various collections and publications. He has worked as a designer with businesses of all shapes and sizes, including Fidelity Investments and Blue Cross Blue Shield. He is currently working as a principal design strategist and Health Suite Labs engagement lead at Philips Experience Design. And he is a busy guy, he has been a professor of art and design at many different schools, including the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in RISD, and currently at Wentworth Institute of Technology. Matt, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Let's get right into the things you've been doing. I- I've just been in awe over the years of how you've integrated design education into the real world professional environments. I sort of first witnessed this when you were teaching a design studio course at Wentworth but integrated at Blue Cross. So could you share with the audience like what that experience was like for the students and like why you made that happen?
1: You know, you said some things right off the bat. You were talking about the the uh, course you and Derek did and you said collaborative, so collaborating with people beyond designers. You said real, so no theory. And you said talking to people, getting out there and working <laughs> yeah, with people. What a notion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not being in a silo, like going and actually experiencing and, seeing people's needs and uh, perspective through their eyes, perhaps. And that's really what I think um, the D school did that was special, those three things. Um, so, yeah, we we, uh, we pushed that at Fidelity and at the time, you know, still at Wentworth. And actually, I gave myself a sabbatical while I was at Fidelity. Um, I didn't teach. I can't remember if it was a full year or semester, but in that 15 or 16 years, I just took that one semester I think it was just a semester off and I was just exhausted. I was so much, I mean, I'm doing the class on top of like a 50 or 60 hour week, you know, but like I was so tired, not teaching. So um, for me, it always made sense, like bouncing the two things off each other. And we started it in a little way with a couple students while we were at Fidelity and what we've grown to call it is the embedded class. And when I jumped ship and helped start the first innovation team at Blue Cross Blue Shield, we carried that on, but in a really meaningful way. And my boss there was the VP of innovation, um, Robin Glasgow. And she was like, yeah, Matt, let's do it. Let's bring him here. From the student's perspective, what it was is it's a design thinking class. It's a junior studio and then um, got to the senior studio design research class and they were with us at blue cross so they you know it's a 15 minute walk up the road and they were like part of the innovation team so they'd attend some meetings with us they would have access to all the leaders they were like in this fishbowl kind of room that i created for sprints but the the class used it and um they worked on real stuff that we cared about um so one here's here's a story that will uh, make it real. We had, I'm not going to name the school, but we had a professor from another Boston school in with a couple of the professor's students. And it was a typical business consulting class. And they were pitching it to us. This was like early September. So they were going around trying to find an industry to sponsor the class. And they had a big innovation or have a big innovation center on campus. And Um, you know, it all sounded really great. And I was like, okay, well, how does this work? How do you actually embed with industry? I was like, do we come to you? Uh, do we get to come on campus and be part of the class? Does your class come here? Like, how does that work? He's like, no, Yeah, how are we collaborating? Yeah. They're like, no, 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 no. We we come, we come here the beginning of the semester once or twice. And we have a couple meetings and we scope out the problem and then we go back and we work on it on campus. And then during midterms, we'll have a couple calls, a few meetings. We'll check in. You guys can see if we're tracking. And then at the end of the semester, we'll present it back to you and you'll have recommendations. I'm like, oh, that's cool. My class is downstairs right now. (laughs) They're literally right here. (laughs) And they've been meeting with leaders all morning and they've been working on our problem for weeks with us collaboratively. So I I gotta go.
0: So much more integrated. Yeah. You have to be there. I think that's the real innovation that you have is like they are embedded. I love that word for it.
1: Yeah. Well, having seeing them there, like having the leaders be able to see them there, the leaders in the organization walk by the room it led to those moments where they could have casual conversations right so relationships developed and that was really important and trust was gained and some big learnings in the beginning i mean this started in 2016 we did it in this way and we would do one each semester so it was like three a year wow Uh, so it was was, we learned a lot the students weren't comfortable with us at first but realized quickly that they could just go knock on whoever's door you know, whatever SVP, EVP, like they were pitching stuff to the CEO, you know? That's amazing. And Yeah. uh, I
0: mean, how about the the CEOs? If I remember the layout of this office, the CEO's office was like a hallway and like a staircase. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. We were directly underneath (laughs) uh, the C-suite. So they, sometimes
1: they would just walk up there and, you know, during lunch break or something, be like, Hey, what's up? I got this thing. You got a minute. Can you look at this? Um, Yeah. So that was really cool. And then. You know, once they got confident with that, I think the students naturally had a bias towards action.
0: Some businesses do not. Yeah. Coming out, I'm sure that's like a huge learnings from them. is just like make stuff happen. Yeah. What are some of the projects that the students did, if you can talk about them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, super cool. We were One of the s- classes we did in the summer uh, with this great guy, his name is Ken Duckworth, who's been doing all this really great work. Uh, during our times with COVID for behavioral health, uh, he's kind of, he's the leader in that, in that field. He was part of the class. It was, uh, the class was twice a week. He was there one of the days every week. Nice. So the students had direct access <laughs> to like the best behavioral health guy. Um, and in that class, one of the students in particular formed a real bond with him. There's a, there was a lot of trust. So, we, you know, we did the, the challenge for that class for the summer was, um, First year, freshman access issues for behavioral health. Big, hairy, complicated problem. So really interesting prototypes coming out of that. And the students, of course, they were just juniors at the time. So they had just been there in that position and they had access because it was on campus. They did go out to other schools around Wentworth um, to do research. But anyway, uh, out of that, um, and the student's name's Alex Connor, who's still at Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, he, Ken was like, um, you, you guys want to do something really important. Why don't we try to take a crack at the opioid epidemic? Oh, wow. So the way the class started to work too, is, uh, we, as the innovation team, were able to, um, like test people out. Mm. Right. So I was able to say, we were able to look at our work later in the year and be like, okay, here's what we have coming up. Here's who we just saw in the class who are the right personalities? Like, who do we need as a co-op? Yeah, yeah. And then the co-ops- So it's like feeding in. right into it. it. Yeah, right in, but you're building relationships over years already. So it's not like, hey, we're gonna hire this intern for three months over the summer and hope that we hire him a year later. Yeah, um, it's like, oh, you remember Alex? All that work you did- By the way, he's right over here. <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah, and he's still here. Yeah, Alex never left, he's still there. We all left. Uh, <laughs> I'm no longer there. Um, But um, yeah, anyway, uh, Alex worked with Ken and designed the Opioid Toolkit, which was like brought to market under budget and record time for Blue Cross. And I remember this was a couple years ago, I was talking to Sam Montague we we're in class at Wentworth and Alex texts me, texted me, and he's like, So the opioid toolkit's a Nar- it's like a first aid kit with Narcan in it, but it teaches you how to use Narcan so you nice. can stop someone from having an overdose, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm in class, I'm talking to Sam Montague, head of the department. And Alex texts me and he's like, We just saved our first life. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, that's a pretty good KPI.
0: Yeah. That's pretty I like great. that. Yeah. That's the impact, right? For that student, you know, to kind of be like, what I did was real. I mean, right. to me, nothing and that's very real, very impactful.
1: And that's also why health insurance and health and financial services, which are totally tied to that health and wealth, are super meaningful. And I get really passionate about it because it's like you are really impacting um someone's life or someone's family. And it's very cool.
0: Last question. Seems like internships and co-ops, I mean, the economy, oof, it's rough. And so they're going to be fewer and far between. So what's your quick advice for other professors who want to create these real-world experiences, probably in parallel with their classroom, in quotes, experience? Hmm.
1: I don't know my advice to professors. I'll give advice to the students even better. Yeah. Um, And this is something I actually took me a while to realize, but I learned from Fred Lecter. And it's form a cohort. Mm. So you already, like if you're a student, you're a design student, you're mapping out where you think you want to be in X amount of years. Uh, You know, who is it there in that field or in that area that you might learn from and that you might have something to give back to and go ahead and form a group? Like set up a weekly meeting on Friday afternoons, call it something cool, have five to 10 people and start, have have that type of collaboration. And you will start to build the relationships
0: like I was talking about I love that. with Alex. Mm-hmm. So good. That's why I started the museum. And now look, like, it's like, I just want to <laughs> chat with other designers and make cool stuff happen. And okay, yeah. let's meet every once in a while and do it. That's right. great. Really nice. Awesome. That's so good. I love the work you do. I know the students get so much out of it so thank you for sharing all that with us thank you sam listeners you can learn more about matt's work across professional design and design education on his website templeton.design and we'll post a link matt stay with us and we'll continue this conversation with the president of art center college lauren buckman this holiday season give the design lover in your life something truly unique At Design Museum Everywhere, we've opened an online holiday store with several publications including our books, Bespoke Bodies, about the design and craft of prosthetics, and Design and Play. It features incredible photography and stories about play environments from around the world. We also have our Design Museum Magazine, which is our quarterly publication on design impact. We also have gift memberships, which are perfect for employees, general design enthusiasts, and students or young professionals looking for resources and professional development. All membership levels include a magazine subscription. Check out the store on our website designmuseumeverywhere.org. And we're back and we're joined by our special guest, Lauren Buckman is the fifth president of Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California and an international leader in art and design education. Lauren has led Art Center through multiple strategic plans, guiding an increase in undergraduate and graduate degree programs and record enrollments. His passion and deep commitment to excellence in education has generated unprecedented response from the community in terms of supporting the college. He holds a PhD from Stanford University and a BA from the University of Toronto. And as part of his advocacy for the value of art and design, he hosts his own podcast called Change Lab, Conversations on transformation and creativity. Lauren, welcome to Design is Everywhere.
2: Lovely to be here. Thank you.
0: I wonder if we could start just learning a bit more about Art Center. Tell us how you approach design education there.
2: We tend to use the word conservatory spirit. We feel like in this country, as an art and design school, we're probably more like Juilliard than we are many of the art design schools in the country in the sense that Interesting. Uh, uh, students do not come in and do a foundation program and then decide what major or what area they want to focus on. They actually come and they go deep into a uh, a discipline. Mm. Um, so you come as a uh, as a. Product designer, or as a graphic designer, or as a filmmaker, as a photographer, an illustrator, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in order to get into art center, you need to show your talents and your gifts and your chops with the portfolio that you've already developed. So it's it has that kind of deep dive quality to it. And we compare ourselves to Juilliard because at, you know at Juilliard, your your audition is the equivalent of your portfolio. You audition, you're a violinist or a ballerina or whatever the case is, and you go deep into that area with a clear and very unapologetic preparation to be a violinist in the New York Phil or the LA right. Phil or whatever. Yeah, you have be, a right? path. You have a path and you're taught by professionals. And so our art center is, is built very much on, on that. And yet we also, uh, and, and this, we work hard on this too, is to create the interdisciplinary rich kind of uh, interdisciplinary piece as well. And it's an educational philosophy that's embedded in that because we like our students to have that kind of deep dive in their discipline, but then they expand their horizons by by looking up from that, but rooted in that discipline. So yeah, they have the strength yeah. of that identity as they as they branch out and hmm. we we build various different kinds of mechanisms for that.
0: I'm curious, you know, we're in this, we have to talk COVID in every episode, we just can't escape it. And so yeah. how are you all, H- have the art center professors and instructors figured out how to teach design? remotely or are you part campus part not how's no, it going No, we are
2: we wanted to be part campus apart not but uh, at the at the 11th hour the city uh closed us mm. down and they just mm-hmm. uh, city of pasadena and la county wisely i think just decided we just sure can, they can't yeah. uh, art center's not unique caltech is in there it's been a very interesting um i don't want to sugarcoat it it's had its bumps yeah, for sure but it's, it's been a really interesting development and A really great indication of, you know, there's no virtue like necessity. The urgency of the moment (laughs) brought out some really wonderful things about this community. Really wonderful things about the faculty, really wonderful things about the students who wanted to respond, you know. And in a way, it's sort of not what happens to you in life. It's how you respond that really matters. And this was an instance of an institution responding in all kinds of creative and interesting ways that I, I found very i found very inspiring to be, to be honest with you and and then there's this kind of meta level of you know what are we teaching our students really on a fundamental we're teaching them lots of things but one thing for sure is fundamentally we're teaching them to solve problems Okay, so here a problem, problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of enormous proportion, hits the school, and there's a, so there's a meta lesson in there too of how we operated as an institution and as a community in response to the challenge. It's been quite
1: something. My class this semester, our challenge was actually sp- around COVID specifically. So mm-hmm. they're in two teams, and you know they're sprinting on that for the first two weeks. So they have access to everything they need (laughs) because we're all absorbed in it (laughs) exactly Uh, Exactly. but it's been really nice like week three and into week four it gets beyond that and it gets more to like root cause and like bigger you know core areas of problems that this situation's brought about Mm -hmm. um yeah, but it's been an interesting experiment. And it's a,
2: it's a perfect illustration of what I'm saying, right? You take the problem and you make it a, a design challenge, essentially. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, you turn that into the project. I love that. So can you share a bit about how these partnerships and these sponsored projects work and how they integrate into the curriculum? On a fundamental educational level, it takes
2: you out of the ivory tower. It brings industry in, in a very direct way and says, okay, here's a brief here's a problem we're wrestling with. Here's a real world situation in industry that we're trying to struggle with and trying to understand. And a group of these beautifully talented and brilliant students (laughs) get get put together and they respond to that and they come up with solutions and they are engaged in that real world uh, exchange. And the executives from industry can participate and they build relationship with the students and it often leads to internships and it often leads to careers at these various organizations. But it's also, they're also the panel that offers the critique to the work being done. And so you have that kind of input as well, in addition to your faculty, et cetera, et cetera. So there, it brings a kind of very real world, very urgent, very pressing kind of challenge to the students, right? On the other hand, our our partners love it because <laughs> not only I mean it's it's fundamentally a great kind of recruiting device for them to find talent that they want to bring and hire on, but also they get these fantastic ideas. These great I mean they have original, access to pure
0: creativity. Yeah, and they
2: pay. They pay. <laughs> and I mean, they pay. It, it costs you know to, to sponsor maybe you know seventy five thousand dollars to sponsor a a full fourteen week program class right. But compared to the cost of R and D, and you begin to think, you know, this is not such a bad idea. We're getting really good input and really good, really good exchange. We have a we have a a very fundamental rule at Art Center that our students own their own IP, and so it has led to the to students selling their their ideas and their projects to these various student, different corporations and these these uh, for these sponsored projects. So, it's been a, it's been very uh, been a very exciting part of of art center i think a lot of schools are doing it now but art center was absolutely a pioneer yeah in setting so it up yeah
1: yeah yeah lauren i'm just wondering like when you're talking about this matchmaking between students and folks from industry like when you reflect upon your time with that what's the biggest surprise you've had or what's the biggest learning in terms of the relationship between the two you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, making that match
2: I, I, I think it's, it, it touches on what I was just saying, that the, the excitement, the originality, the insight generated by our students and how, the, the, how meaningful it is for these corporations and how much they, it, you know, you think it's a kind of they're, they're just being philanthropic or they're being kind or they're trying to support, uh, uh, you know, an art and design school. But in fact, they, they, they're reaping incredible benefit from it. And, and it's, um, it's just wonderful for me to see how much our students shine in that, in that kind of situation.
0: I'm curious because I'm, I'm imagining we have some design professors listening and also uh, companies and nonprofits who are listening and they're like, how do these projects start? As the companies or nonprofits coming to Art Center? Or are you all recruiting? How does it all sort of like start and come together?
2: Uh, and you're talking specifically about our sponsored projects, you mean? Yeah. yeah
0: or, the, we, or the social impact
2: projects? And we have a, a, a partnership and in industry department. We have a staff, and so they organize it. And, um, um, you know, again, go on our website, artcenter.edu, and you can see where that office is, and you can contact those folks. And, you know, we have. Um, uh, a way of, of working with the companies. We, we work with them and we set up faculty to work with them so that the design briefs that we give the students are, are manageable within the period of time. Sometimes we can extend it, um, sometimes we customize it, sometimes we integrate it into an already existing course in the curriculum, there's different ways in which we do it. Um, but if there's uh, any interest at all, we certainly reach out to various different companies we have for a long time and it's beyond automobile companies though those are those are a kind of staple uh, for those yeah listeners. I was gonna say like so when I
0: was doing here at Art Center while yeah, I am here
2: yeah, and so one of the things about Art Center that people ought to know is that um fifty percent of all cars in the world' just pause and say that again right like all <laughs> in the world have art center uh, art center graduates involved in the design, and you look around at major Uh, automobile companies and you will see that you know art center graduates are either running these design divisions of these automobile companies within it so that's that's i mean we have a lot of really strong programs but that's certainly the most famous one yeah and a lot of the you know if you if a lot of the sponsored projects are through um and another answer your question really is alumni who are working at these Mm. in various industries and who Mm. reconnect their company with Art Center and help set up these, these projects. And alumni have been incredibly helpful with that as well.
0: There's just so many options. And I think that's, that's going to be key when there's fewer internships and co-ops and like this economy. It's like, how do we make it real but in the classroom, right? Gosh, I'm just wondering,
1: um, you know, when we think about internships and about keeping the pipeline, when you think about trying to keep that active through these times, like through this next year, are there any big concerns you have top of mind?
2: Well, I mean, I worry that the kind of experience that I describe for some of these uh, projects with Design Matters, I mean, it, 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 it's not going. The students aren't going to have that kind of interaction with communities like like that. So we're not we're limited in terms of being able to do the, that kind of work. So the question is, well, what can? How can you leverage what is possible exactly in the way you describe, where you can uh, you can create the connection online, you can create the connection via Zoom, you can you can um it, it, an advantage is CEOs are participating in the critiques in the way that they couldn't travel to Pasadena before so that's that kind of thing is good um on the other hand exactly you say the research is different it's going to be limited we need to be a little more discerning in the kinds of projects that will lend themselves to this kind of environment and this kind of process we have to be um we have to be clear about the kinds of deliverables that can be offered as well. Uh, Physical models are a little harder, though we have a service bureau piece going on in Pasadena where students can send in electronic files and have their projects built. So we can do that, but it's it's not the same kind of engagement with that. So I worry for me that so much of the learning comes from the making. So much of the discovery comes from the engagement with material, right? And and how are we doing that? And how are students trying to be resourceful and figuring that out when they can't have access to the shops and to the labs and to the, and, and to the processes that we have there? So the, uh, the good news is finding, being resilient, being responsive, being resourceful, figuring it out, but it's it's going to be different. And I guess I guess bottom line, and this is a kind of philosophical position that kind of drives me, the the question is how do you find what works in this context and in the online environment as opposed to how do you reproduce what you can do face to face? Because I think that latter question is a dangerous one and maybe the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because if you try yeah. to re- reproduce it, I, I more more often than not, I think you'll have something that's inferior. Yeah. As opposed to saying, well, what can you? you, know, social media is interesting that way too, right? It doesn't replace the dinner party, right? It's, right. <laughs> it wasn't designed to do
1: that. It's a different way of people interacting that is part of that environment. Yeah. So we had an interesting thing just happen in my class a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it, it's a hybrid class. So the co-teachers there in person, they can be in studio. I'm fully remote. So I'm in the South Shore, Massachusetts. Uh, we're using Zoom for the video component. Camera's on for everybody. And we also ha- are using a virtual collaboration tool. Which is Miro. Um, so we can arguably do more effectively, <laughs> like collaboration, design research than we did in the studio with post-it notes and sharpies. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, but the stuff gets confer- thrown
0: away. Maybe someone takes a photo of it, but like it doesn't become an ongoing well, artifact.
1: The room. I mean, we're realizing this at Phillips too. The room's there forever. It doesn't ever have to go away. So I used to, you know, where I would be uh, with a C-suite in the hospital for a day. And then three months later, I'm like, hey, you remember you thought this about this part of the strategy? (laughs) Now it's like, let's go back to that space together. Here was your input. What do you think now? You know, Yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's neat. But the students just a couple of weeks ago realized that they missed, they all stopped going. So they all went completely (laughs) virtual. And then they realized a couple of weeks ago that they missed each other. (laughs) Um, So it's like, what is it we actually miss? So now we have this, uh, and it was the hanging out, you know, like in between class and the, uh, the casual conversations and stuff. absolutely. And there's
2: a lot of learning that happens in those moments too, right?
1: Maybe the, the most important, important learning, I think. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So when have you been most, if, if you can recall, tell me a story about a time when you were like really uncomfortable. Uh, with the partnership with, with a class in industry and it happened to all work out. I get
2: uncomfortable when, um, when people forget about education, when it becomes a kind of work for hire kind of relationship. Yeah. And yeah. We, we forget that fundamentally we're trying to provide students with a, a great educational experience. And it's not—you can imagine how easy it is for that to go off the rails a bit, right? And for there to be certain kinds of expectations, not just from not just from the the corporate sponsors or the corporate partners, though that can happen, but from sometimes from the students themselves or from faculty who get maybe um, um, uh, wanting to please the corporate sponsor in a certain kind of way, and then so, and 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 then you can imagine some of the educational. Um, uh, problems that ensue or the positions that students are in. And I've seen it and it can get uncomfortable. So um, if you forget about, you know, if, if these things take shape and you forget about the fundamental mission that's involved, I mean, it's great. If the corporations love the students' ideas, it's wonderful for the students to get a sense of the brief that's coming from that industry, et cetera, et cetera. But if it, if it goes off the rails and if it's no longer about their learning then a number of different, then that can be very uncomfortable and it can make me very nervous and it's not what it's about. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. The, um, so with me, with my experience working with embedded classes in industry where I've been uncomfortable <laughs> around that, you know, we got these uh, rubrics, we got accreditation and then on the industry side, you have these deliverables that were supposed to be marching to, it was the learning that happened to me as mm-hmm. a teacher. So it's like, okay, here's the actual place where we want to land by the end of the semester. How we get there might be less. I need to let, let some things go and not mm-hmm. have so much control, perhaps. And, <laughs> and that's been a cool journey. That's that's beautiful. That's great. Yeah. yeah.
0: So my last question uh, is for both of you. And it, it's kind of like dreaming a little bit, looking forward. And maybe we can start uh, with you, Matt. But I'm just curious. And I mentioned this a little bit in the in both segments. But about, there's going to be fewer internships, at least in the near term, co-ops are going to be tough, mean, the economy's in an interesting place. So integrating this stuff is going to be more and more important. And I'm just curious, um, where do you think it's going in terms of making design education real? Like, what's, what's next? Matt, you're already innovating so much, but what's in your mind is like new things to try.
1: Um, well, I think Lauren pointed to it and said it nicely, you know, we're talking about what can we... What can we do now? How can we use this to our advantage? How is this a big design challenge? And where can we double down on things that work better like this? And where can we let things go? Perhaps where we need to, you know? Um, so I don't know where it's going, but I know there's some advantages. And uh, I know it's not going back to what it was. No. Yeah, so exactly. We're all in this Change. together.
0: Yeah. yeah. What about you, Lauren? Where do you see this kind of sponsored projects, industry partnerships? Where is it all headed?
2: I think those, uh, as I said, have a trajectory. I think, to be completely frank with you, um, I, I get concerned about um, the isolation of our students mm. in in mm-hmm. this online world. Um, and it's exactly what Matt and I were just talking about. What What happens without that chance meeting? What happens without that encounter with a teacher in the hall that suddenly triggers your imagination and, and leads you to a whole new discovery. It's those kinds of things that are, again, you, you don't want to reproduce it. So what takes its place and how do you think about it? And one solution, and I think we need to, I think that's a really rich question, but one solution that we're working on at art centers, we're, we're thinking, you know, in order to mitigate the fact that people can't travel to campus, they can't travel to Pasadena, a lot of our international students can't even get into the country. So, is there a way for us to bring Art Center to them to build some community where they are? And we, we've developed this program of, of, of developing these hubs in certain, in certain uh, cities um, where there's a, 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 a gathering or concentration of students. And uh, we were particularly concerned about the isolation of our international students who couldn't come in, and so we set up these hubs this term in Shanghai and in Beijing and in Seoul, uh, three cities that have a concentration of a lot of students. And there are maker spaces there, and we're doing community events there, and we're doing some seminars, and we're just trying Sorry. to make sure that they're not just off on their own, isolated, mm-hmm. but they there is some sense to whatever. Appropriate connection. safety protocol could be followed <laughs> with all the mass and the distance and working with the public authorities, but making sure that there is some community. And it's interesting, like students in different parts of China have actually moved closer to Shanghai so they can be part mm-hmm. of the hub. And and just to make sure that we continue to understand the value of community and the quality of the education that our students are receiving.
0: I love it. That's so awesome. Thank you. That That's a really great um, response to this unique time. And I'm sure all the students are, are loving that. Um, so thank you for being here. This is it's, Art Center is a special place, and it's great to learn more about it from you. No, oh, thank you. It's
2: been a it's been a delight, and great to meet you and you, Matt, too. Yeah. Thanks. Great to meet you. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thank you, listeners. You can learn more about Art Center and their approach to design by visiting their website artcenter.edu, and be sure to check out Lawrence Podcast Change Lab Conversations on Transformation and Creativity. They're in their seventh season and dedicating this season to episodes that amplify black voices in conversations around creating concrete, measurable actions towards a more diverse and inclusive art and design community at Art Center and beyond. So check that out. We'll post the link to the podcast on the episode page. Now it's time for our weekly dose of good design where each week we each share examples of good design that uh, was thoughtful and impacted others or ourselves in a meaningful way. I'll kick it off, I've got a fun one. I I can't speak for everyone listening, but I have needed an escape these last few months badly. Um, With everything going on and not being able to go anywhere, I have been playing a ton of video games. So my weekly dose of good design is twofold first, I love my Nintendo Switch. This is Nintendo's latest gaming console. You can either play handheld uh, and on the go, or you can dock the display and slip off the side controllers, and then now you're playing on your TV. And so the other part of my weekly dose is the game that I am currently just immersed in, which is Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Uh, It's an action-adventure game developed by Ubisoft. And it takes place during the golden age of piracy in the Caribbean. So you're literally a pirate of the Caribbean. And it's this huge open world for you to explore and plunder. And the naval aspect of the game, like you're like sailing your ship. And the first few times I played, I literally got seasick. It was like so realistic, like the water and like the rolling. And I was like, but I'm over that now. Um, It's also pretty violent. So it's definitely not for kids. I just want to throw that out there. But also love how it sort of mirrors history like i didn't know there was actually a republic of pirates that existed in the bahamas for about 11 years during that time pretty cool but i'll be honest when i'm just like sailing around in that game like i'm just i have no aim i am not going for any kind of objective my wife caught me just like sailing and she's like so what's the object of this game i was like well right now i'm just kind of taking in the sights (laughs) and the graphics are beautiful So. It's pretty much the closest I'm gonna get to the ocean probably for a while, so I'm soaking it up. Um, So if I'm not working at Design Museum or spending time with my family, you can find me sailing through the Caribbean on my Nintendo Switch playing Assassin's Creed Black Flag. All right, Matt, you are up.
1: (laughs) Wow, you set the bar high there, Sam. (laughs) Uh, That was good. Um, I need to get out more and play more video games. Yes. (laughs) I wanted to share some books. And I think they're they're brilliant. Yeah, so Bill Burnett and Dave Evans wrote Designing Your Life uh, a while ago. And I just loved it. You know, it's design thinking applied to life. So it's like, you know, you can, you can create whatever you want. And um, that book was really aimed towards people that wanted to sh- switch careers or like recent graduates. So I'd require it in my class or my undergrads And it was great because they could see all the design thinking mindsets and, you know, apply it to their lives. And it's really cool. There's a workbook that goes with it. So reading, it's really experiential and it's a whole journey and it unfolds, can unfold over a few months. And it's just brilliant. So that was nice. Um, And after a while with that, you know, I realized how much that didn't apply to me. It's (laughs) like I am living the dream. (laughs) I'm teaching, I'm working at Phillips now. Like I get to talk to cool people all the time. Like I don't want to redesign my life at all. I'm quite happy with my life. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So, um, they came out with another book called Mm. designing your work life. Oh yeah. So very relevant right now. Right. Yeah. So that's, uh, more geared towards folks like me, probably you're happy where you are. You don't want to jump. You don't want to go start something new. Uh, you're, you're not fresh. Um, how do you make what you're doing now even better? Um, and um, I was reading that book earlier this year, and COVID hit shortly after that. So um, I think that was published late last year, the beginning of this year. So Bill Burnett and Dave Evans came out with uh, a series of videos called Designing Your COVID Life. To build off that book because, you know, everything's changed. So maybe we can share the link to, um, to designing your COVID life to our podcast listeners. And that was just brilliant. Cause you know, they're in California and I'm here in Massachusetts. So it hits <laughs> them a little before it hits me, you know, with the right. lockdown and everything. So I, I give them nice prepare perspective yeah, on how I might deal with this myself, um, and they have a really interesting journey cause they're, they're, you know, they're, uh, it's kind of like this, you know, it's a, you can hear them, you can see them though. Um, they're both in separate locations and, uh, the first few videos they're doing really well, you know, nice. they're, they're working it all out there. Sounds all really smart and good. And then they realize they're not doing so well, <laughs> so I won't spoil it at all, but it's just really <laughs> authentic um, and insightful. And there's tools, uh, in there that I think are really useful. And two of them in particular that I took away were, uh, one was a stoke we used to do, um, at Fidelity actually. Um, and it's, uh, how are you doing really? So like when you ask someone how they're doing, you know, Monday morning, you got your team meeting nine o'clock. How y'all doing? How you doing, Sam? How you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah.
1: How are you doing really? (laughs) Right. Then we, then we get to a a nice check-in you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So trying to do that with my class and, you know, we we're all about check-ins and check-outs on the team at Phillips and, and that's good. So, you know, where are you guys all at today and how can we help? How can we be a team? How can we lead? How can we support? Uh, the other thing that I took away from those videos that really helped me is they have some principles or mindsets to stick to mm. in, in designing your COVID life. And one of them is set the bar low Mm, I love that. This is tough for me because I don't ever set the bar low. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I set it so high and I want to optimize everything and be efficient and effective and knock it out of the park. So mm-hmm. it's very hard for me to wake up in the morning and think, right, for this to be a good day, how can I best set the bar as low as I can? Mm-hmm. It's been wow. a challenge, but yeah. it's, uh, it's helped. Nice.
0: Good strategies. I love that.
1: But I'll tell you this, I'm going to start playing pirate video games.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, if you need to escape, just jump into Black Flag and it will just, (laughs) just huge stress relief. (laughs) Thanks again for being here. This is awesome conversation.
1: Yeah, this was very fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, that's our show for this week. Big thanks again to Matt Templeton and Lauren Buckman for joining us today. And thank you all for being here with us as well. We'll post links to some of the resources and things we discussed on our episode page. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. And be sure to grab tickets for our two upcoming events. Our live podcast recording during ABX with Boss Noma is December 3rd. And then our big Workplace Innovation Summit is December 7th through 11th. So a very busy December, and we'd love to have you with us for both events. Also, since we're approaching the end of the year, I hope everyone listening will consider making a tax-deductible donation to support this podcast and support Design Museum Everywhere. Your financial support means the world to us and makes our mission possible. Help us bring the transformative power of Design Everywhere by making a year-end donation. Visit our website, designmuseumeverywhere.org, and click on the link at the top of the page. And thanks. You can also say hello on social media. On Twitter, we're at design museum, and on Instagram, we're at designmuseumeverywhere. You can also search Design Museum everywhere on Facebook and LinkedIn, and you'll find us there as well. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating and hey, a review on this podcast. All those things help other design fans find our show. This episode was written by me, Sam Aquilano. We're produced by Ryan Flom. We're edited by the new addition to the Design Museum team, Amor Yates. Welcome, Amor. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thank you for listening and we'll talk again next week.